When we left five years ago, you guys have remained our church family here in Bakersfield. And I want to extend with, with gratitude uh, a thank you from my family uh, and from, from us to you. We, we deeply appreciate you. We love you. And we've enjoyed having many of you in our home up in Portland. But second, it's a privilege to, to stand in this pulpit, to, to, to open the word with all of you today. While we live in a day and an age that is infatuated with instant gratification and personal satisfaction, if we've got a question, we've got the internet in our pocket. There's no need to consult the encyclopedias any longer. If, we've, uh, if we're hungry, then we've got Uber Eats. We can order food online, and they will bring it to our door at lightning speed. We've somehow managed to make fast food even lazier. If we're bored, we've got a screen in our hand in an instant or in front of us in a moment. I mean, think about this for a moment. This quest for earthly satisfaction is what's driving the sexual revolution. This quest is what's driving the porn industry. It's what's driving American politics. And yet, according to Pew Research and Gallup data, people are becoming more and more miserable. It's, it's ironic. As things seem to improve, we get more and more dissatisfied with each passing day. Let, let that sink in for a moment. So in a, in a, in a world of fleeting satisfaction, in a world that is growing more and more miserable by the day, what can satisfy us? Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, please open them to the gospel according to Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. The gospel according to Matthew. We'll be looking specifically at chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. And if you're new to reading the Bible, the large numbers are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are the verse numbers. And, and everyone will be helped if you could leave your Bible open to this passage as we dive into it this morning. This is the profitable word of the Lord. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. 
you give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of those broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I have nothing important to say, but you do. And we ask that you would send your spirit now to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to make our hearts soft and porous to your word, that it may dwell richly in us. And Father, I ask that you would strengthen your weak servant to the task of proclaiming your word and the word made flesh, Christ Jesus, this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, before we work through this miracle this morning, let me invite you to step into the greater context of the book of Matthew for a moment. The book of Matthew from chapter 1 to chapter 28 is all about the glory of God revealed in the Son of God, Christ Jesus, and how God's kingdom of light has broken into this kingdom of darkness. And the way Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells the story of Christ is like watching his redemptive story in HD 1080p, where scene after scene after scene, we watch the life of Christ unfold. And how from birth certificate to death certificate and resurrection, we see that Christ is king. And he has authority as Lord over all. And this miracle, the miracle that we just read, takes that high-definition film and throws it into 3D, displaying the glory of Jesus Christ in full array. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's, here's my main point from Matthew 14, 13 through 21. The compassion, provision, and satisfaction of Christ alone can satisfy. The compassion, provision, and satisfaction of Christ alone can satisfy. And this, this point breaks down into three acts in the passage. Act one is the compassion of Christ. Act two 
is the provision of Christ. And act three is the satisfaction of Christ. So act one, the compassion of Christ. Please look with me again at verses 13 and 14. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Notice how the text reads, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there to a desolate place. What has he just heard? Well, Christ has just heard that his cousin, his friend, and his forerunner, John the Baptist, has been beheaded by Herod the Tetrarch, and that his disciples had gone and taken John's body, buried it, and had come to tell him about it. And Jesus withdraws, as we see, to a desolate place, and we find out in Mark's gospel account of this miracle that he is withdrawn to rest. Now, Christ's withdrawing here is, is twofold. The first fold is he withdraws because of chapter 14, verse 1. Herod has heard of Jesus' fame and was aware of his public ministry and was threatened by it. And so, because Jesus is still quite some time from his appointed hour of crucifixion, he withdraws to avoid early altercation. But the second fold is that he withdrew to grieve. Jesus was truly God and truly man. And in his humanity, he grieved. And these verses are really a window into his humanity. Jesus withdrew because he needed space to rest and to process grief. And we read here that he is withdrawn and head across the Sea of Galilee, which, let it be known for reference, is like a glorified Lake Ming. But what happens when he arrives? Look at the second half of verse 13 and 14 with me. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Oh, brothers and sisters, behold the compassionate and healing Christ. Christ had departed to be alone and to find rest and respite. And what does he find? He finds a bunch of needy people that have followed him into the wilderness. But notice, he doesn't say go home and come back tomorrow. No, he, he postures toward them and has compassion upon them. He has compassion upon them. That line could also be rendered in the Greek as his heart went out to them. He looked outward in the midst of loss and the desire to be alone, in spite of needing rest, in spite of the crowd's potential desire to use Christ as their genie, as their, you know, for their own gain. 
he turns toward them and loves them. Jesus recognized that the people that had followed him into the wilderness were sick and needy. Not only physically, but spiritually. Like sheep without a shepherd, they needed him and he met their needs. He saw them. Just think about that for a moment. The one who spoke the universe into existence saw them and healed them. Because Christ, being rich in mercy and love, had compassion upon them. This is the shepherd heart of Christ. And this ought to be the heart of his body. This local church. Brothers and sisters, we can, we can be the most theologically literate. We can be the most doctrinally correct men and women. We can be pro-life, pro-Orthodox parachurch organization, pro-traditional marriage, pro-family, and pro-homeschooling. But if we have not love, if we have not kindness, if we have not tenderheartedness, if we have not compassion, then we have nothing. And our words are like a clanging gong and our actions are to no avail and we are left like separatists in an echo chamber. I love the way Francis Schaeffer puts this. Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. Now I could already see some of the mental flags being thrown out on the field. So let me, let me clarify what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we ought to de-emphasize our doctrine, that we can overemphasize uh, doing Christian stuff in the name of Christ, in the name of his compassion. I'm not saying that we ought to, to see the mission of the church as proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of all nations and setting that aside and our theology aside and just loving on everyone. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that where there is smoke, there is fire. I'm saying that where there is Christian compassion, there is the Christian gospel. I'm saying that each professing Christian in this room ought to be marked by sound doctrine and love, compassion, mercy, devotion to good works that flows out of that doctrine and out of that gospel. No, we're not little Jesuses that have the power to heal. That's above our pay grade. But these verses are an example of the compassion of Christ. And hear this, this example ought to be at the root of our evangelism here at Sovereign Grace. We are to love God and love neighbor. We are to live in the gospel that we may live out the gospel. Both to one another on the inside 
and to the world on the outside. In Sovereign Grace, when it comes to one another, this is why we believe that meaningful membership is so important. Because the Christian life is one that we do together. In an age of zero commitment, in an age that is diametrically opposed to accountability, in an age marked by false religion like hedonistic individualism. It is godly love and compelling care in the context of meaningful membership in the local church that sets us apart. For in it and through it, we display our commitment to Christ vertically and our commitment to each other horizontally. And what true Christian compassion is to the glory of God alone. This compassion is displayed when we meet the practical needs of one another in accordance to the word. This compassion is actively displayed when we walk along the side, alongside the sister who is struggling with postpartum depression or an eating disorder. This is displayed when we walk alongside a brother through the valleys of church discipline as he, Lord willing, seeks repentance and restitution. This is displayed when we open the door of our homes to one another and our neighborhood that we may share the gospel with them. That's my prayer for Sovereign Grace Church. That this church would be marked by sound doctrine that leads to compassionate evangelism in the city of Bakersfield. But there's also a lesson here from the crowds. Hear this. If you are in Christ, then you can go to him. You can run to him with your sorrow, with your affliction, with sin and grief. Christ is our compassionate king who says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. For he alone is sufficient to do this in his compassion and his provision. Which brings us to act two, the provision of Christ. Look with me at verses 15 through 19. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Christ has just spent the entire day healing and teaching the crowds, as we read in Mark's account of this miracle, and now he is feeding them. And as we just read, it's, it's now late in the day. And we read this interaction between Christ and his disciples. 
And the disciples put forward an idea. They say, send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food. I'm sure they're thinking, man, we have been out here all day. Send these people away so we can breathe and so that we can rest. But Jesus says, no. No, they don't need to leave. You, you feed them. And at that moment, you can almost hear the thoughts of the disciples, right? Um, what? We can't. We've literally got a kid's meal. We've literally got a kid's meal. And yet, Christ tells the disciples, you do it. Why? Because Jesus wants to publicly display that he is not only sufficient to meet the needs of his people, but that he also meets needs through us. Christ could have just airdropped some barbecue on the lap of every person in that place, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Instead, he has the disciples come up with the means, five loaves and two fish, to the glorious end of his gracious provision. For what do we see happen next? Look with me at verse 18. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowd to sit on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and catch this, gave them to the disciples And the disciples gave them to the crowds. Christ does the work. But he uses manpower as means to his ends, as an extension of his mercy, as an extension of his love and compassion. And listen, this is the takeaway. Christ is in sovereign control over the means and the ends to his own glory, praise, and honor. But there is so much more happening here in this text. There is so much more. For this feeding, this meal points to three other great meals in the Old and New Testaments. First, this feeding of the 5,000 points to the wilderness meal. Did you catch the language here in these verses? Do these verses sound somewhat, in some ways, familiar? Remember the location Jesus, the disciples, and the crowds are in a desolate place. Again, it's late in the day, and the people are tired and hangry, and no, Snickers didn't exist at this point in redemptive history. No, it didn't. But what else in the Bible, and where else have we seen this? Where else have we seen God, a desolate place, a needy people, and some bread. It's Exodus 16, verses 1 through 7. In that passage, Israel is in a desolate wilderness. They're tired, they're hungry, they're grumbling, but what does God do? He provides for them. He tells Moses what he is going to do, and he accomplishes it. Because he is a God that makes promises and keeps his promises. He gives them bread. He causes manna to rain down from heaven. And he provides for his people in the wilderness. And here's the connection to the meal in Matthew. Since the genealogy in chapter 1, Matthew has been relentlessly tying 
this story and the work of Christ to the Old Testament. Far from divorcing or unhitching, as some have said recently, Christ and Christianity from the Old Testament, Matthew and the other gospel writers go out of their way here to tie this miracle specifically to the book of Exodus and the reading from Hosea that we read earlier. And thus, Matthew's emphasis in this miracle is this. Christ is the true and better Moses. This is made abundantly clear in John's account of the miracle where he writes, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And right after that, it's not a coincidence that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. O Christian, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? Christ has given you all that you need in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Second, this feeding points to the Lord's meal. Listen as I read from Matthew chapter 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Notice the language here in the Lord's Supper. Jesus took bread, broke it, blessed it, gave thanks for it, and distributed it. Sound familiar? See, Christ didn't simply come to give us bread. He came to be our bread. And no one, no one can provide like that. Now, this isn't a one-for-one meal correlation. Fish aren't a substitute for wine or juice. But this is the connection between the meal of the 5,000 and the Lord's meal, this meal in Matthew 14, that points toward the better meal of Matthew 26. For in the Lord's meal, we feed on Christ by faith as we share unity in Christ and his gospel as confessing, baptized believers. And lastly, this feeding of the 5,000 points to the final meal. Listen as I read from Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. 
for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the song and the supper of the redeemed. In April of 2019, my, my dear friend, pastoral mentor, brother in Christ, passed from this life into glory. And on his last day with us at Hinton Church, I heard him tell my wife in a frail and soft voice, one day, we will share another meal together. You know, what an incredible day that will be when we are joined around the, the banquet table together in the new heaven and the new earth without cancer, without mental illness, without depression or chronic pain without sin, and without sorrow. And we just fellowship together, glorified in perfect union with our shepherd, King Jesus. I look forward to that day. But until that day, we look to the object of that day, the object of these meals who is Christ. The shepherd king who brings fulfillment and completion, perfect provision, life and abundance. For the compassion, provision, and satisfaction of Christ alone can satisfy which brings us to the third act this morning here in the text, verses 20 through 21. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Behold, the satisfaction of Christ. Notice, they all, all being 5,000 men plus women and children, so probably closer to 10,000 people, they all ate and were satisfied. And observe the abundant quantity of Christ's provision. They took up 12 baskets full at the end of the day. This is significant. For it is not a coincidence that in John's account of this very miracle, that he points out that Passover is at hand. And the Jewish audience in the wilderness would have picked up the significance behind the 12 baskets that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Christ is the one that completely satisfies his people Men and women, Jew and Gentile. For just one chapter later, Jesus feeds a Gentile audience in the feeding of the 4,000. 
from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Christ alone satisfies his people, his sheep, his redeemed. And he has ultimately satisfied us by the gospel. And this is the greatest application from our text today. And we're going to end on this. Brothers and sisters, over 2,000 years ago, Christ's body was broken. It was broken that we may be healed. He came to this earth, earth, lived a perfect life, was crucified on a Roman cross, and got up from the dead three days later. He died the death that we all deserved. And in doing so, met our greatest need, our need for salvation through him alone. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you don't know this this shepherd king, this good news of his life and his death and his resurrection, if you have questions about what it is to to repent and what it is to believe in Christ, if you are hungry for something more than what the world has to satisfy you, then I'd love to talk with you. I'll be standing near the back after the service. I would love to talk to you more about this Christ who is perfect in his compassion, his provision, and his satisfaction. But Christian, this is the good news. This is the good news of grace and true satisfaction in Christ for those who have repented and believe. Christ's death satisfied the wrath of God against sin. Against your sin, against my sin. That we may be satisfied. He exchanged a robe of splendor for a robe of frail humanity. His blood was spilt. His body was crushed. He was declared dead and buried. And three days later, he rose again in resurrection. And because of that finished work, God says, let there be life in you. And applies that work of Christ to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has declared you adopted. He has declared you redeemed. He has declared you purchased, alive, and born again in Christ. And Christian, you are to never get over this. For this gospel is the centerpiece of the Christian life. And though the presence of sin still lingers, its power has been broken. For it is Christ's blood that speaks a better word. It is his blood that speaks a better word than our sin a better word than death, a better word than the accuser. Brothers and sisters, if you have repented of that sin and have spirit-wrought faith and belief in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, then you have been bought into 
and you have been brought into a glorious exchange. The exchange of your filthy rags for the robe of Christ's purity. The exchange of your unrighteousness for Christ's righteousness. The exchange of your iniquity for Christ's mercy. Christ has fed you by faith, washed you, cleansed you, healed you, and has declared you forgiven. So in a world that grows more and more miserable by the day, in a world of fleeting satisfaction, what or who can truly satisfy us? Christ alone. Christ alone, Christ alone, the one who is the bread of life, who's water for the thirsty and healing balm to the physically and spiritually sick and needy. Christ alone can satisfy. Let's pray. Take a moment now to confess any ways that you have been pursuing satisfaction outside of Christ. Father, we are thankful for our shepherd king. And we praise him for his provision and his compassion, and his perfect satisfaction. And Father, we ask that what we have not, that you would continue to give us according to your word. And that what we know not, that you would continue to teach us according to your word. And that what we are not, that you would make us according to your word. All to the glory, praise, and honor of the Son, Christ Jesus. And it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen.